This is the Bluegrass Beat Podcast. News, training, and first-hand accounts from Kentucky's leading law enforcement professionals and instructors. And here's your host, Quitley King-Smith. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bluegrass Beat. I'm Critley King-Smith. We've spent the past three episodes discussing how to lead, but what makes a good leader? Is it the same formula that's required to be a good person? Are things like kindness, moral integrity, fairness, and strength all part of a magical recipe that produces a specimen equipped with both the ability to nurture and command? How does character-based leading impact one's ability to garner both respect and lead their agency to success? The world of policing is ever-changing, and what is needed seems to be constantly redefined. Joining us to talk about not only what it takes to be a good leader, but also how to foster future leaders within your department is one of Kentucky's leading law enforcement professionals, Mike Bossy. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hi, Crittenley. Thanks for having me. Mike, I think if anyone is going to talk about standards within the law enforcement community, you're probably the one to do it. Within your more than 41 years in the profession, you've served as chair of the Kentucky Law Enforcement Council's Professional Standards Committee as the Georgetown Police Chief, and for 30 of those years were moving up the ranks at the Lexington Division of Police. These are just a few of a long list of many, many accomplishments. It appears that you also taught about leadership before. Is that correct? Yeah, I had the great opportunity to teach uh, as a guest speaker at the uh, APS and the CJED programs here at uh, DOCJT. And then I also saw that you, you graduated from the FBI Academy. Or, uh... I did. In, in the year 2000, I was a graduate of Class 202. Most people agree that leading is less about what we say and more about who we are and what we do. Can you talk about what characteristics a good leader should have? Yeah, absolutely. I think, first of all, you have to believe in what you're doing. That becomes obvious to other people through your actions, first through your words, but mostly through your actions. And then if you're going to be an effective leader, you have to believe in the people that you're leading. And it's that Pygmalion effect where people perform based on uh, partly on your belief that they can accomplish what it is that you're trying to do. So belief in yourself, belief in the mission and belief in in the people that you're leading. Now, how do those characteristics, the, the you know, believing in yourself, believing in others, um, being committed to the career that you've chosen... How does that help you build trust and respect within your agency? I think there's some things that you can fake in life for a while. One of those is not trust and your belief in people. You cannot fake that you care about your people when you really don't. It'll work for a little bit, but they will eventually see that you're, say, more in tune to your own needs than their needs. So a leader absolutely has to truly care about their people. We hear a lot of talk about integrity. What part of leadership is integrity? How does that factor into the whole picture? Well, I think I think one of the things that is a challenge to the general public is understanding that when a police officer puts on that uniform, everybody is looking at that particular individual. Oh, if they go yeah, into absolutely. a store, if they go in to get coffee, 
Um, all eyes are naturally on that person. It's even more so when you're the chief of a of an agency that you're the leader, you're the top guy. Everybody's watching what you do. Absolutely. Um, and so you have to be very much aware of that, so that even the impression that you're doing something wrong has to be. Uh, you have to be guarded against that. There's always you know that perception, especially when a new a new boss comes in. But often when they do, the atmosphere has already been set within a department. Uh, expectations, whether they're high or low, are already ingrained into an employee's head. What can leaders do to impact a culture within an organization? Can they? I think that's a great question. And I think that's what leaders are for. I want to say that one good leader can truly make a difference in in an organization. From my own experience, when I left the Lexington Police Department in 2012, I went to the Georgetown Police Department, who had some significant problems at the time. Uh, some of it was just the economy and the way things unfolded, and they had been moved out of a police department uh, because there was uh, lead found in the building, and so they were kind of homeless, but in these temporary buildings, and in 2008, the economy dropped, and they had not seen any change in that environment for four years. The The previous chief had been terminated because of internal conflict. I went and looked at the Georgetown Police Department and, and before I was ever hired to see if this is something that I was interested in doing, and, and I looked at the condition of the building. I looked at the parking lot. I looked at the, the officers and how they wore their uniform, and I could tell that whatever I was seeing, some other previous leader had seen, but didn't act, didn't try to change that culture. And so I'd been exposed to environments where change was needed, and I actually enjoyed doing that. And I said, this is the place for me. I think I can make these changes, and I can do it through leadership. And so we started on a journey. The very first thing I did the first three days at work was to speak to every single employee about uh, where they were and where they wanted to go. And uh, we made an agreement to become a premier police department. I do not take credit for where they are today, but I was the initial push that set them in that direction. And then they carried the ball from there. They just needed a little push of leadership. And, and we needed to send the message to the community visually that we were a different agency. We were going in a different direction. And so we made, we made decisions that the public could notice. Uh, and they began to notice the level of service that was changing within the community. And as a result of that, after five years of our journey, we saw over 40% increase in pay. We had a new building. We had a fleet that was the envy of many of the agencies in the area uh, because the public, the citizens, were willing to reinvest in their police department because of what they saw. You mentioned, you know, what they were seeing how much weight should be put on image? You know, how an officer carries themselves, how a leader portrays themselves to their public, to their peers. Yeah, I think that's a really important question, that very initial approach uh, that the citizen sees. I think we take for granted that the citizens aren't looking closely at our uniform, how we present ourselves, how clean we look, how uh, the first thing out of our mouth, is it is it courteous, is it professional? But they do. The citizens, our citizens, expect that individual who's come to help to be a professional person. Now, you know, you've obviously been in leadership positions, and I've heard current and former law enforcement officers and telecommunicators, for that matter, say that 
One of the most important things that you can do as a leader within your agency is to be training up the future replacements, the future leaders of not only maybe that agency, but also, you know, other agencies in, in other areas. And it's true that the new recruits of today are going to be our future chiefs and sheriffs and communication directors. Can you really teach integrity, though, to someone who is an adult? Or is that something that, you know, they have to come to the table with if, if we're truly training our future public safety? Yeah, I think, first of all, part of your job as a chief, as a leader, is to look for your leaders inside your organization and coach those people that are interested in leadership positions. Some people just aren't interested in leadership positions, and that's okay. But for those that are, I think that you can coach them in the right direction. I absolutely believe that you can make a difference in the character of the organization. You have to have the courage to put yourself out there. You have to have the courage to say to them, remember why we put this uniform on. Remember why we became police officers. Stay focused on our mission because there's frustrations in, in this yeah. job. And so it takes that contact with the officers on a regular basis in order to have an impact. I have to say one of the things that, that we really benefited from was every Tuesday, Tuesday's our lap day, when both squads in patrol were working, every Tuesday, the chief or a member of his staff addresses all three roll calls. And we talk about current events and whatever's going on in the police department. But at the end of that initial briefing, there's a moment when we open the floor up to what are the rumors? What's the gossip? What are y'all thinking? There's that awkward moment where people won't say anything. But eventually, Should I bring this up or not? <laughs> exactly. But then eventually somebody um, brings up, hey, well, I heard this. I heard this was happening. Those conversations have brought about some very good discussions where the officers have input into the direction that we're going. And we'll discuss uh, a, a, some kind of current event that occurred in another county, and we say, is that the best way to do that? Can we do that better? Or should we use that as a model of how we do things? That had proven to be very effective for the Georgetown Police Department in gauging where we were on a regular basis. I think hard conversations can sometimes be really critical learning moments. Absolutely. Sure. But I tell you, it is not easy standing in front of an audience impromptu taking questions that takes some courage to do that i think standing in front of an audience and talking at any moment can be difficult let alone if you're responsible for the people in the room so yeah absolutely i know it's a common complaint right now most professions are having a hard time finding enough people to get themselves fully staffed but this is not new for law enforcement recruitment has been challenging it takes a special person to sign up for this career while it's incredibly rewarding it comes with its own unique collection of stressors, dangers, and demands. With recruitment challenges, some have suggested that we lower standards that have in the past weeded candidates out. Things like a criminal past, potential drug use. What do you, having formerly been the chair of the Professional Standards Committee, and as someone responsible for hiring your own officers, say to that idea? Well, I, I learned a, a great deal um, I spent six years in internal affairs in, in Lexington investigating complaints. Um, I had the great opportunity to be a part of the Kentucky Law Enforcement Council and chair the committee, professional standards committee, and, and look at the conduct of officers. I've been an expert witness all throughout the Commonwealth of Kentucky and learned um, you know, about those cases. But more importantly, I think, than all of that is I'm 64 years old, and I lived through other events in history concerning law enforcement. I was a young boy when the Knapp Commission 
uh, came out with their recommendations about the corruption inside the New York City Police Department brought about by the story of Frank Serpico. I was alive. I was a young boy absorbing all that. And I remember the outcome of that study that commissioned was do not lower the standards. Reestablish your hiring standards. I was wearing a police uniform when the Miami River cops investigation occurred in Miami, where officers, police officers, were charged with murder uh, when they killed and stole drugs from drug dealers. Miami was growing at such a large pace that they rushed their selection process. We have to remember how, how small the window is for police officers, for policing. It's Obviously, communication skills, obviously the, the ability to accept the differences in cultures and backgrounds of, of individuals and still police effectively. But there's, there's also that other side. We could find a lot of people that could do the job with just those qualities, but those aren't the only qualities. You also have to have somebody that's confident enough to stand up against a 300-pound intoxicated person that chooses to hurt another individual and not run away. That really narrows that window of individuals who can be police officers. Whenever we lower those standards, we lower our expectations. And as a result, it historically has shown that we pay the price uh, in the level of service that we give to the public. So it's really a complete picture. Then if you have any one piece missing, it's, it's not the right fit. Absolutely. Speaking of the Professional Standards Committee, there's been recent changes in the ability to decertify officers within the state of Kentucky. So how has that affected law enforcement as a profession? Sure. I did not know as as my career moved in the Commonwealth of Kentucky, I did not know that I would ever see a time when we could stop officers who got in trouble from leaving one agency and going to another and sort of hiding that behavior. It was obvious to leaders within law enforcement that that was happening, and we struggled for many years trying to find the answer to that problem. This is the best answer, I think, to that issue of officers who get in trouble, who make a poor decision, and don't need to wear that badge anymore, that we have the courage to police ourselves and say, irrespective of all the other factors, that this person does not need to be a police officer. I like to use it as a model to other, to suggest to other states that, you know, you need to do this within your own culture. Police yourselves. So let's go back and talk about you a little bit. You've had a long uh, law enforcement career, and I'm sure that comes with many moments that taught you lessons, uh, lessons that you can hopefully share with our audience. Since character and integrity seem to be the buzzwords of today, have you ever faced moral or ethical dilemmas as a police administrator? I absolutely have in my career had to make difficult decisions. And I think I think by the time you get to the level of chief, you need to know that one day uh, you will probably have to make a decision about conduct within your within your agency that uh, may differ from the social movement of the day. And you have got a critical decision to make. And that's not an easy place to be. I, I would say, you know, I've been very blessed with being able to move up through the ranks over the years. I have not always agreed with my commander, my supervisor. But most of the time, as a matter of fact, the vast majority of the time, those are not ethical or moral issues. There are just differences in opinion, differences in um, how someone's viewing the situation. But there have been times, very few in my career, where clearly we understood each other's position and I believed it was a moral issue and I took a stance. The secret to that is, though, not just that you took 
the stance, but that you can deal with the consequences afterwards. Can I go into like, sh- should I go into, I have, a, I have a specific story. I was a captain in command of a section of, of Lexington. And uh, we had an incident that we had to deal with, and it involved the conduct of officers. And there was a difference in opinion between myself and my commander as to whether the officer's conduct was inappropriate or was appropriate. There was some pressure to take some kind of action against the officers, and I disagreed with the the fact that the officers had done something inappropriate. And uh, my commanders gave me the opportunity to go home and think about it and come back the next day and decide whether formal charges should be filed against the officers. And I went home that night and um, I could not sleep because of this big conflict that I had. Very rarely in my career, as a matter of fact, up to this point, I'd never really had an issue of this magnitude that was that was in my mind clearly a moral issue as to whether why I was asked to charge these officers with this particular formal offense. I was pacing the, the living room and at three o'clock in the morning, my wife comes out and says, um, you know, what's what's the problem? What's going on? And I relayed the whole event to her. And I never forget my wife saying, well, I just don't really understand what you're saying. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my gosh. So but then she said this. She said, but I know the man that you are, and I know that you will do the right thing. And and just that statement brought me back to the reality of, look, you are worrying about the consequences. You know what the right thing to do is. Be respectful. Do what you believe is the right thing to do. And that's what I did. I went in the next day, and I did what I believe was the right thing to do. And, and um, there was a disagreement be, between myself and, and my commanders. I was transferred out of the assignment that I was into another assignment. The the key to the whole story when I relay that to other commanders, other officers, is I made a decision. I have to live with the consequences. It's not fair for me to become bitter because I made a decision that was different than, than someone else's. So in that, I was halfway through my career. I was 20 years into my police career. That single decision made a huge difference in the next 20 years of my career. I did not let that frustration turn me into a bitter leader. You let it be a growth moment. Exactly. Exactly. During your time as chief, can you name one thing that you did that you felt was successful in helping create or keep a healthy work environment? I think whether it was by accident or by design, the Georgetown Police Department had a modified 410 schedule. And we had both of our squads in patrol, which was where most of our people were working on Tuesdays. In the very beginning, I felt like there needed to be a lot of contact between myself and the officers. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. And so I began every Tuesday as part of my schedule, scheduling a first, second, and third visit to roll calls. And we would go over um, a briefing of what was going on in the city or what was going on in in the police administration. Now, that took a lot of time and a lot of energy, but I think it really paid off well. And then as I learned more about the agency and I identified my leaders within the agency, um, we began to switch out with other captains so that it wasn't always me just being at the roll call, but there was always a commander from the Georgetown Police Department that was there to answer their questions. So I think you're kind of saying that FaceTime matters. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's always been a struggle in law enforcement and in any large organization. How do you control rumors and gossip? Rumors and gossip destroy organizations. 
And at least this was the opportunity to open the floor up to that. And I, I think the officers felt that, that they did have a voice. Well, and I think it also shows how when the um, the questions might be tough or um, maybe even if it's a question about you, how you respond can really show character. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think just even the idea that you're willing to stand in front of them and take questions like that. There were times when I would come in and we wouldn't really have anything to talk about. But I was as I was walking out of the building, one of them would say, Hey, sir, thanks for coming in. So when we were discussing topics for today's episode, you mentioned the crackdown truck and the floating lid theory. Now, I have to ask, what is that? Please explain. I have had my personal mistakes that I've made as a leader and, and learned from those different, different mistakes. I was a lieutenant in narcotics and was transferred up to burglary to take over the burglary unit. And while I was gone... During that two-year period, there was different personnel brought into narcotics, and the activity level of that unit had diminished. I was promoted to captain while I was in burglary, and I was asked to go back to narcotics um, in order to relight the fire, get, get, the, get the unit going again. I went back down, and I reviewed all the activity of all the officers that were uh, in the unit at that time. And there was an officer, a detective, that had, had been assigned and had a, a, an entire year— 15 months, and not a single arrest. I said, well, we're going to set a new direction. I brought the, the detective in and said, look, respectfully, you know, we're going to move you out. Clearly, this isn't your thing, and we're going to bring somebody in that's that's more um, comfortable with doing narcotics work. And, and he was transferred out of the unit. Later, I thought about that, and I thought that was probably not the best response from me. That detective was operating at the level he was allowed to operate at for almost 15 months. He was meeting the expectations of the previous lieutenant who had set those expectations at that level. It would have been far better for me to say, hey, this is a new day. We're going in a new direction and I need you to pick it up and coach him and bring him along. And maybe he would have done okay. Maybe he wouldn't have and we still would have been. But kind of give him that chance. Yes. He was meeting the expectations of the guy that came before me. And that is that floating lid, that if you as a leader set that lid down low, they'll rise up only to that level. If you as a leader set that uh, lid high, they surprise you. Maybe not even surprise you, but they'll come up to that. They will operate at that level. So years later, I was given as an assistant chief the entire Bureau of Investigations which at the time may have may have had some some work challenges. There were employees who had been allowed to stay there with no activity for a period of time. And I thought about that one occasion with that officer and how I would do things differently. So as the new commander of the bureau, we had a mandatory meeting. They brought everybody in and I said, look, it's a new day. If you aren't, if you don't have any activity, you need to get on the charts. So this is me telling you that today it's going to be different and, and the expectations are going to be that you perform. They had gone from suit and tie to a more casual appearance. And I said, and we're going to go back to suit and ties because that's what detectives do. And, you know, and I thought there would have been some pushback, but really it was, okay, gigs up. We got we to gotta perform. <laughs> back to work. Yeah, we got to go back to work because the, the new guy has these new expectations. And they did. They picked up their activity. And uh, the ones that wanted to stay, which was every one of them who knew that the expectations were different, their activity went up. And so that, that idea that 
you set the expectations and people will rise or lower to those expectations. The other example that I had as a leader was one that I watched another commander make that affected my ability to lead my people. I was in narcotics. I had, this was during the crack epidemic, and I had two very eager sergeants who had a vision for how we might address street-level dealing with crack cocaine. And they had put together an undercover truck with a hidden camera and devised an operation where the undercover driving the truck would go up to the street corner, buy the crack cocaine. It would all be on film, and then they would leave, and then a surveillance team would come in 10 or 15 minutes later and, uh, through some bogus complaint, identify people that were on the corner. And then we would match up the identity of the person who sold the drugs and then do a roundup later. I thought it was a great idea. I was a lieutenant. They were sergeants. We sat down with my commander and said, hey, this is this idea that we have, and it's awesome, and this is how we're going to deal with you know, our crack epidemic. And I vividly remember the commander turning to me, not to the sergeants, but to me, and saying, bossy, I don't need any special operations. I don't need you doing anything special. All I need for you to do is answer the complaints as they come in. That's all I want you to do. And I watched the sergeants deflate. It took me a very long time to get them remotivated to do their job. Three or four months later, a large agency had come into our county and was conducting almost the exact same operation. When the then chief of police heard about it, he wanted to know, why weren't we doing this particular operation? And I had the opportunity to say, well, um, actually, we're ready to go roll with that operation now, sir. So our decisions as leaders can have a huge impact. Even if I disagreed, even if I was that commander and I disagreed with that, uh, operation. I should at least have that conversation and say, well, we can't do that right now. Here's why. Uh, and have that discussion, but not shut them down. Those two sergeants had a greater vision than that commander had. All right. So as we mentioned before, things are changing. The public's expectations and the ideas about law enforcement are vastly different than they were when I was growing up. So that being said, what advice would you have for someone just starting their career? I think for a young person, um, learn learn what works. We should all grow from this social movement, the same as we did in the 60s and 70s, grow from that, from that movement. Um, but know that it, it may not always be this way. And, and that's just what policing is. The public decides the policing that they want. And that's where we are right now. And I think it's confusing right now for police officers. They went from an era of the 90s where, where a great percentage of a population was in prison to an era now where the public is saying, no, we need to find other ways. And that's part of our job is to listen to what the public wants and the police in, in, in those avenues. And how would you advise them to keep the fire and the passion for what they've chosen to do? Um, you know, I, I retired in January of this year. And I thought, gosh, I'm going to miss being police, being a police officer and all the things, all the opportunities that present themselves as a police officer. But, you know, I left the, I left the job and I walk into Lowe's and there's a guy loading four by eight sheets of drywall in his truck. And I walked over and I helped the guy without saying a word load those sheets of drywall into his truck. And there was a lady that was having a rough day at the counter. 
And I could tell, and they said, are you okay? You you know, there are those opportunities. We cannot forget as police officers that this unique occupation allows us so many opportunities to do good. Sometimes we forget that and we start ignoring that or forgetting that that's part of our job. That is where the rewards come from yourself, doing doing the right thing, helping somebody. That's the benefit of this job. The money's temporary. But that, that feeling of fulfillment that you get from those things. And I, I was afraid I would miss that when I left. But that's just a part of me. And it should be a part of every police officer that they stay focused on that mission, personal mission. Keep the reason why they started with them throughout their career in retirement. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for joining us and providing us with so much useful information today. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And everyone, thank you for listening. More information about today's topic can be found in this episode's show notes. Remember, you can find us on DOCJT's website under the training tab on Apple Podcast and on Spotify. Until next time, I'm Critley King-Smith and you have been listening to The Bluegrass Beat. We hope you join us again. We strive to make this podcast entertaining and informative. If you would like to reach us with a comment or suggestion, contact us via the link in the show notes. You can subscribe to The Bluegrass Beat wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been a Team Kentucky and Department of Criminal Justice Training production.